When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Dan, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to kick things off today with Mary Kay Scott and I talking about the Browns' internal free agents, whether they should or shouldn't re-sign some of their players that are becoming free agents this offseason. Then Tim Bielek joins me to talk a little bit of NFL draft off the Super Bowl. So check all that out, and of course, check out Football Insider. Head to cleveland.com slash browns. Click the blue banner up at the top of the page to get all the information and to get signed up so you can get access to all sorts of exclusive content that we offer to our Football Insider subscribers. Okay, off we go on a Wednesday. And away we go on our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabin, Scott Patsko. We are going to talk Browns free agents, but we're going to talk about their own free agents, not outside guys. We're going to go through some names here and see if we think they should re-sign them, not re-sign them, maybe what re-signing them might look like, what our limitations are. And I want to start with a name here, and we're going off uh, Scott's post, ranking free agents that the Browns could re-sign. Olivier Vernon, we're going to start there because he's really interesting in this situation. He's obviously coming off the Achilles injury. He's not your answer as your number two edge rusher. We can rule that out because he's not even going to be ready for the start of the season. There's no way. But the question is, is there value in re-signing Olivier Vernon? So Mary Kay, when you kind of look at this situation, he made $11 million last year. It's obviously not going to be that much in 2021. Is Vernon a guy that you would think about bringing back on a flyer? You know what? Olivier Vernon was someone that I would have absolutely re-signed in, you know, January. On January 1st, I would have re-signed him for sure. But once he ruptured the Achilles tendon, I think it just throws the whole thing into uncertainty. And I just don't think, you know, that you can count on him coming back from that ruptured Achilles in such a short period of time and being ready to go by August because he will be, I believe it's 30, right? He'll be 30 or 31 by the time the season starts. Therefore, I think he's in that age group where he might not bounce back from a ruptured Achilles as quickly as Grant and Delpit is expected to do. Therefore, even though I think he did an amazing job in the last eight games of the season, Uh, with his nine sacks in the last nine games, I think it is what it was. I just don't see them re-signing him unless he heals very quickly and then they get to the point where they can get him at a sort of a real bargain basement price. Short of that, I think they need to move on. Yeah, I think the injury is what throws the wrench in here. I, I, I wouldn't consider him at that price either, but he really came on strong over the second half of the season. And if he goes into this offseason healthy, then you're starting to think, well, geez, maybe we can, maybe we can work something out where he comes back and at a reduced price or even comes back and he's competing for that spot. He's one of the few guys on this list of players we're going to talk about who I think may, may be a little bit priced out of what the Browns want to do. And again, that, that injury just at age 30 with that, I, I don't know. He, he hasn't played a full 16 games in forever. So it's, it's not like it's a a new thing either. And the other thing about it is the other thing to consider is there are some edge rushers that are going to be available. So it's not like he's the only one that's out there. Uh, You're going to have guys that could end up on the market, including Trey Hendrickson from the saints, Jadavian Clowney back out there on the market. You've got uh, Yannick Nagakaway 
couple of those guys are guys they were interested in last off season. So they were interested in, they tried to sign Jadavian Clowney last off season. They tried to sign Yannick or they, they thought about trading for Yannick. They inquired about it last off season. So therefore you don't have to sign an Olivier Vernon. There's about Hassan Reddick. There's six, seven, eight edge rushers out there. You know, you can target in free agency and they have the money to pay one of those guys. I think they'll opt for one of them over a 30 something Olivier coming off of a ruptured Achilles. I mean, would you take a chance on Vernon? I personally would maybe if the price is right. Again, we're not talking about your number two rusher here. You're talking about a guy that you're just taking a flyer on who could be a veteran. You've seen what he could do when he's healthy. I think if the price is right, I'd maybe take a shot at and see if he can give you a boost at the end of the season. I guess taking a flyer, quote unquote, comes down to how much that flyer costs, right? I, I know. I guess it all depends on what Olivier Vernon wants to be in this league at this point in his career, too. Uh, is he at the point now where he's like, all right, I'm, you know, if I'm not a starter, I'm cool with that. That would factor into this. If Olivier Vernon wants to start, wants to get a couple more years in here and, and still be a significant part of a defense and, and get paid like it, that might be, that's going to be a problem. Again, a lot of the guys on the list we're going to talk about sound great. Maybe coming back as backups, coming back in the role they were in. I, I don't know. And, and Vernon, like I said, is one that you really got to think about. I, I'm ready to move on. I think we've seen the best Vernon can be at this point in his career with the Browns over the last two seasons. And it's clear the Browns need more pressure on the quarterback and they, they didn't get it with Vernon on the outside. Okay. Let's move on to a level behind Vernon here. Let's go to BJ Goodson. Browns signed him to be their Mike handled a lot of the defensive play calling probably played a little better than I think people expected this year, but now you've got a decision to make on Goodson Scott, we'll start with you. Is he a guy you're bringing back? He's cheap. I mean, I like bringing him back maybe as a veteran backup. They still they need to improve that position speed-wise. They just need to get better in the middle of the field, and that's a, a, spot, a spot where you're probably starting. He was in a position that he'd never been in before. He had more than 300 coverage snaps, more than he'd ever had before. It's just not situations other teams were putting him in, but here with the Browns, he was in that position. He graded out all right by the end of the season. It wasn't that he was great against, uh, he was great in tackling. That was the one thing he could do. He graded 96.0 among all NFL linebackers in tackling. He was 25th in overall defensive grade. So it wasn't horrible, <laughs> but it's still a spot that I think you need to upgrade. And if BJ Goodson comes back, even at that price, as a guy who's on the field, you know, half the time, that's, I could live with that. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, I think he brought a lot to the table, too, just in terms of leadership, in terms of kind of sort of an emotional leader of the team. And I think that there's something to be said for that. He held these guys together. He, he had that fiery nature about himself, Dan, in the same way when we talked a little bit about Richard Sherman. Maybe not quite like a Richard Sherman, but still somebody that brings leadership qualities, ex a lot of experience, good tackling ability, and at the right price. I would bring him back again. He's not somebody that's going to cost you $10 million a year. He's a good role player. As Scott mentioned, you're, you're not going to have to start him and play him as many snaps as he played this year, but you can use him as part of the linebacker rotation. And at the right price, I would definitely resign him. So this is one of those positions. I look at it and, you know, we always talk about adding speed and I, I think this team needs to get more athletic at the linebacker position uh, you know, Jacob Phillips kind of showed he can handle at least the wearing the green sticker part of it. He got that opportunity in week 17. We still don't know what kind of player Jacob Phillips is, but I think he sort of fits that profile of what they want at linebacker. So I think whatever they do at this position, it's probably going to trend that way. And, you know, so I, th I think BJ Goodson might kind of get left out here. He did his job. He did what they needed him to do this year, but you've got to upgrade that position some way or another, whether they prioritize linebacker or not, they're going to have to have something there and they're going to have to have a little more athleticism there, a little more consistency there. So I'm probably going away from BJ Goodson, unless he is willing to come back and, and sort of take on that role of going from being an every snap guy to being someone who is not going to be playing every snap here. All right, next on the list. And this one is probably you know what? I'm actually going to skip who you had at number seven, Scott, because we're going to come back to him. So we'll go to who you had number six, Carl Joseph 
at safety. Uh, signed here on a one-year deal. Bet on himself a little bit. I don't know how much that bet's going to pay off. But uh, Mary Kay, what are we doing with Carl Joseph here? You know what? He's another one of these guys. He falls into this category of these guys that they signed to one-year contracts last offseason, and they played roles. And in, in the scouting world and in the football world, they're, they're kind of considered – you know, in some ways, just a guide. You hate to say that about somebody that puts their heart and soul uh, into the football team. But a lot of these guys are in that category. So you can either re-sign them at the right price and let them play a role. Or if you let them go, you can probably replace them with, with someone similar. But because he already knows the system, because they like him, because he did, you know, he made some plays. He seemed to have a nose for the football. And, you know, he, he made some impact plays. And I think that's key. Down the stretch, he was able to do that. So I would be inclined uh, to re-sign him. Now, once again, he was a $2.5 million player in 2020. Uh, you know, that's, a, that's pretty decent for a former first-round pick. So if you could get him for that kind of a price again, I would be all for that. Good depth, good special teams. And he sort of fit what they were trying to do. Yeah, I'd bring back Carl Joseph, uh, especially if you can get him for close to that amount of money. And again, you're looking at him as being more of a, uh, a backup or a, a guy who's, who shows up in three safety looks more than just the starter at strong safety. Uh, I think his estimated market value was four years, 32 million, which I don't know if I would want Carl Joseph at that price, but I think he, he was really inconsistent, but he did show uh, in, in a handful of games, especially over the later part of the season, that he could play well enough to, to have an impact for the Browns. And he made some big plays down the stretch. But I think you're looking elsewhere for a guy who's going to be out there as a starter, guys that you're counting on playing and play out. But Carl Joseph as a backup, as a, as a third guy, sounds great to me. Yeah, I'm not giving him four years. And I'm not giving him $32 million like that, that estimate from Spotrack says, but if he's willing to come back, if you're going to play three safeties a lot, you got to have three safeties you can play. And you, and you know, you have two and Delpit and well, we don't know exactly what Delpit looks like on the football field yet, but you hope that he's one of those guys, Ronnie Harrison as well. And then, you know, you got to have a third guy and that could be Carl Joseph. That could be maybe a draft pick that there, there's guys out there. Maybe you sign someone else, but you're going to have to have bodies to man that position. And Carl Joseph showed he can kind of do what Joe Woods wants his safeties to do. He can play deep, can play in the box. He is a hitter. I mean, we, we saw him, we saw him lay some wood on people this year. So he, he can at least do that. So I like him as, as a depth guy there for sure. Anybody going to take up for Ander, Andrew Sendejo here? I always want to call him Anderson Sendejo. It goes back to those Cavs Anderson Barajau days. Anybody going to take up for Andrew Sendejo while we're talking about safeties? I like Andrew Sandejo if he's Sheldrick Redvine. If he's a guy who shows up every fifth game and, and gets a handful of snaps at safety, meanwhile, he's one of your top snap guys on special teams, which is basically, in a lot of ways, what he was with the Vikings. So that, that role for him, I think, sounds great. I, you know, If he's interested in having that kind of role, I, again, he's a guy who doesn't cost a lot, so – that would make sense. If not, I think, you know, you move on with him and Joseph. I think you have to keep in mind that the Browns are going to, they're going to sign somebody in free agency at safety and they're very likely to draft somebody at safety. So it's, even if you sign these guys now to bring back, you're still, you're putting them in with other guys you're bringing in. So if you do resign someone like Joseph or Sandejo, it's with the thinking that you could very likely end up waiving them or releasing them in camp. Yeah, I think that, you know, he he was one of those guys that was thrust into a role that was way bigger, obviously, than it was intended to be when Grant Delpit ruptured the Achilles tendon. So even though he took heat and crap from fans and on, on social media all season long for, for giving up touchdown passes and whatnot, you know, he was he was just filling the role the way that they asked him to. And if he goes back to what he was supposed to be doing, which is to play, I don't know, maybe just a, a handful of snaps at safety and then be featured on special teams, I think he can be a very useful player. Once again, he is one of those guys that 
If it works out uh, where you can resign him at the right price, absolutely fine. If he moves on, it's not the greatest loss in the world. I guess the question is, is what does he mean to you behind the scenes? You know, I know he was important, you know, to some of the younger guys, you know, in the background, you know, when Ronnie Harrison came here, he said that Andrew Sende- that Sendejo was a guy that really helped him kind of get settled, learn the defense, all of that stuff. How important is that to this organization? How important is that to what they want to do moving forward? How much do they need that moving forward into next year? Because I can find a guy that can do the things Andrew Sendejo can do, or that you guys are, would ask him to do if you brought him back. I can find that guy. I can probably find him for cheaper. I can probably find him for younger. So I think that's kind of what it comes down to. I'm probably going to move on from him in this situation, unless I absolutely need that guy behind the scenes for another year. Let's talk about kickers. Cody Parkey, free agent as well. Look, came to Cleveland and did fine. Had some issues, had some hiccups there later in the year, but kind of seemed to, to get that stuff out of the way. Nothing popped up in the playoffs that concerned you. Of course, he was never really put in a position where he had to make like a game-winning kick or anything like that in the postseason. I'll, I'll take, I'll start here. Yeah, I'd bring Cody Parkey back, but I'm probably looking at a kicking competition in training camp this year too. Just, just bring somebody in to compete. Why not? We didn't get one last year. Let's have a kicking competition this year. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think you're going to get that. You know, you, it's very rarely that you don't have extra kickers in camp. We just didn't see a regular camp, so it didn't happen this time. And, I mean, outside of the Ravens game, the second Ravens game, he had a missed extra point, he missed a field goal. There really wasn't another game where you came away thinking Parky was an issue. Although, and that I guess personally, because I know fans, I mean, you, you miss one kick and, you know, we see emails and texts from from our, our readers and subscribers saying that they need a new kicker. But he was 43 of 47 on extra points. He didn't miss a kick in the playoffs. 10 of 11. He was 19 of 22 overall. 10 of 11 from beyond 40 yards. Missed twice from 30 to 39. I mean, I don't know. It's sure. Bring him back. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it's a ringing endorsement. Yeah, it almost I mean, he kind of got it together late, right? He got it together late and in the playoffs. I think the thing that, you know, that bothered people, it just seemed like when you miss those extra points, that's just not a good look, right? That's that's just not a good look. And as you mentioned, Scott, he was 43 or 47, but, you know, we just remember those misses, right? And and one of them came in that, that loss to the, uh, to the Ravens where he missed twice. So, I mean, when you have a game like that, that is such a, a big key, meaningful game, game on the line, you know, that's not the kind of performance that you want to see from your kicker. And I think that that kind of sticks in people's mind. So therefore I do think that they need to bring someone in to press him and, and to really push him. And I'm sure that they probably will, whether it's a, a young guy or a veteran or whatever the case may be, there will be competition in camp. And let's be clear that Many fans, I think, the issue with Parkey goes beyond anything that's happened with the Browns. It's in the back of your mind, remembering what happened to that guy in the playoffs with the Bears. That's where a lot of this stems from. And everybody's afraid that when the Browns get to that point and he's on the field and has to make a kick, it could happen again. And I think that's a big part of this, too. I, f- I feel like in some ways fans kind of haven't adjusted to the extra point rules. They expect them to still be oh, this is balls on the three-yard line and it's automatic. I still think there's that expectation sometimes. Guys miss extra points. Now, you can't miss a bunch of them, and we've seen it. You know, we saw it with the Chiefs. The Chiefs missed an extra point off, off their drive. It was the one where Patrick Mahomes had that great run in front of B, kind of juke B.J. Goodson at the goal line. It takes the air out of your sails when you miss that extra point, and you can't do it consistently because that should be not a gimme kick, but that should be an easy kick for an NFL kicker. But I do think sometimes in fans' minds, there's still this idea of, oh, this is from the three-yard line. This is nothing. These are automatic. I think there's still an adjustment going on there. Here's a really interesting guy. And maybe this one pairs with B.J. Goodson and what you do, what you would do with Goodson. Maybe this adjusts your thinking on Goodson. Malcolm Smith, who was a very sneaky late addition by Andrew Barry and came in, it was, was pretty good in coverage this year. You can maybe make the case he was their best all-around linebacker this season. So you're bringing Malcolm Smith back for another run. For me, I might look at this and say, if I have to choose between Goodson and Smith, I might go with Smith 
just kind of the because of the different things he can give me, especially in coverage. Yeah, once again, he's he's one of those guys that uh, he graded out well. He can cover. That's hard to find. I mean, that, that's just a difficult thing to find as Browns fans and the Browns know. So when you find somebody that, that can do it and knows the system, you know, he, he's somebody that at, at the right price, I for sure would bring back. I mean, he was a $1 million player in 2020. And for what they got out of him, that was quite the bargain. So I would absolutely uh, seek to re-sign him and make him part of the rotation. Oh, yeah, 100% agree. Top graded linebacker, seventh in coverage grade, and 12th in overall grade among all linebackers. Now, he played only about 50% of the snaps, and that's probably what you want out of Malcolm Smith, ideally. But, yeah, for that price and, and that production, he sounds great as a, as a guy who's a situational linebacker. So, Scott, when you did this, these rankings are in order of, like, how you, who you would resign, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, okay. from, like, most likely <laughs> – to least likely. I'm not sure where, gotcha. where in the numbering it flips roughly in the middle, but yeah. So, so Malcolm Smith, I had third. And so definitely yeah. I, I would look at him as a re-signing guy. So I, so I would throw this out there then to you guys, if, would you resign both Smith and Goodson or is it one or the other? I, I would I, just, do Smith. I, I would tend to do both because of the depth, because of special teams, because of the emotional leadership qualities we talked about earlier and because I think that, that B.J. Goodson could be part of a rotation. So I probably would think about doing both, especially at the price that, that we're talking about here for these guys. Okay, so here we go now to number two fan favorite and a guy who really kind of saved his career this year, probably Rashard Higgins. Resigned in Cleveland, sort of an afterthought. No guaranteed money. Really wasn't playing at the beginning of the year. I mean, this was all Rashard Higgins, just being patient, waiting for his time. And when it came, he was the Higgins that we remembered from 2018 in a lot of ways and, and probably even more. So now the Browns are in an interesting point because I don't think you can only pay him $910,000 this year. They've got a lot of money tied up in receivers, but it's hard for me to make the case that you don't re-sign Rashard Higgins. Mary Kay, is it a no-brainer to bring him back? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think he's proven exactly, uh, you know, what he can do, what he's capable of. We all know by now that he has a great rapport with Baker Mayfield. He runs good routes. He knows how to get open. He's got a, a nose for the end zone and he wants to be here. This is where he wants to be. He, you know, he just put his nose down and he went to work last year and he never complained when he was inactive, when he was a healthy scratch for a couple of games. So he's absolutely somebody that, that I would resign and it's, it's going to cost you a little bit more money. He, you know, he's going to make, I don't have the market value in front of me right now. Maybe one of you guys do, but he Here's 24 million. Yeah. I mean, that that's worth it to me. That is absolutely 100% worth it for a number of reasons. And, you know, your, your receiver room, you know, it might end up being in a little bit of a state of flux, but I think he should be one of the constants in the room. Yeah, well, first off, I would definitely resign him. Analytics metrics like love him. He's he was third in DVOA this year, which is like value per play over an average receiver in the same situations. I'm pretty sure he was top twenty. I think he might have been top fifteen in 2018 in that in DVOA. Uh, he catches a high percentage of his targets for whatever reason. Like front offices have not really liked this guy. I mean, he was initially waived before this regime showed up and had to work his way back through the practice squad. Uh, this group let him go in free agency and then basically, you know, came crawling back without much of, of anything in terms of an offer and signed him to this, what was it, 900000 this year? It's just weird. And then, of course, you had whatever happened last season with Freddie Kitchens. But the guy produces, and I think you would look at his production this year and think, well, yeah, he certainly earned a, a kind of a, a payday here. But is he going to get it? Who knows? It just, for whatever reason, Richard Higgins has a hard time convincing those <laughs> above him that he should be on the field and, and playing. It, it's, it's just weird, but I think he's definitely a guy you bring back. I really like him as a number three guy more than number two. But yeah, he, he should definitely be on this team in 2021. I think we're reaching a point here, and this, this is where this roster building gets interesting, and this is where Kevin Stefanski's offense and how he adjusts it and grows it gets interesting. 
Because so you mentioned Rashard Higgins, uh, that ballpark figure, four years, $24.7 million, whatever the length of the contract is. But let's say he is a, between a four to $6 million a year receiver, which is pretty good value for what he brings. You have two receivers who are making, you know, total $30 million in Beckham and Landry. Landry is not exactly a speedster. Higgins is not exactly a speedster. You've got a tight end in David Njoku who maybe doesn't want to be here. Well, there's $6 million right there. You could maybe free up if you wanted to, but of course that changes your offense a little bit because now you're shifting resources from tight ends to wide receiver. Is that something you'd want to do? It's really interesting to see how they approach this receiver room because I think that'll tell us kind of how the evolution of this offense goes moving forward. If it kind of stays with being real tight end heavy, fullback, big personnel, or if Kevin Stefanski does open it up a little bit, so a few more three receiver sets, or even, you know, dare I say a four wide receiver set every now and again, uh, I'm curious to see how they approach this. I think Higgins might be sort of a signal of, of what's to come with how they kind of build that receiver room moving forward and what this offense might morph into. I'm not saying it's going to completely change into some spread style offense, but what it might morph into as we sort of see, you know, Stefanski offense 2.0. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, they have decisions to make in, in terms of how they want to shape the receiver room. I mean, I think we, we know for sure. I, I would expect that Jarvis is going to be here. I would expect that Richard is coming back. Donovan Peoples-Jones is definitely going to be here. And then, you know, then you look at you know, either they're going to keep Odell Beckham Jr. or they're going to trade Odell Beckham Jr. And that will kind of dictate. I mean, if you go out and you find another, if you find a speedster, a real speed guy that can give you that element that you don't have, then you can afford to keep a Richard Higgins because, you know, you're going to have that other element on the field somewhere else. And he plays a, a role, a very important role, not necessarily, you know, a possession receiver, but in some ways, I mean, I mean, he does a lot of things really well. He, he catches the ball incredibly well. He runs really good routes. He brings a lot of value. I, I bring him back for sure. Browns used him in the slot quite a bit uh, in 2019 when Freddie was here. Not saying that he's the replacement for Jarvis Landry. I'm just saying, you know, Jarvis Landry doesn't have a lot of dead cap on his on his contract. And uh, if you if you're looking for somebody to slide into that role, he's right there in Rashard Higgins. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because I ended up writing a story in 2019 about slot receivers, but it initially started with me kind of exploring, you know, could Rashard Higgins be the next slot guy. And then it just ended up not going that way. It went a different direction, but I guess the point here, something's got to give eventually it's when, when you're building this receiver room, something's got to give you want more speed. Okay. You've got to get more speed, but then something, then you can't just keep a bunch of slow guys around, you know, so at some point, something's got to give when you're, when you're building this roster. I don't know if that's what you do with Jarvis over the next couple of years. I don't know if that's maybe you just say, Richard, thanks for everything, but we don't have the role you want here. And that's part of it too. Richard's not going to come back here and want to be an afterthought again. So there, there's only so many snaps and there's only so many footballs and, you know, welcome to being a good football team, I guess. Yeah. A guy I skipped over before we get to who was number one on your list. I'm going all the way back here to number five, uh, Larry Ogunjobi. Again, another guy who's a fan favorite, you know, really a guy that has been very thoughtful guy to talk to and has gotten involved with miles Garrett's water boys initiative and all of that. But unfortunately, Ogunjobi might end up being kind of that first casualty here as, as this roster moves into its next phase. It's hard to make the case to keep Ogunjobi around. You've still got Sheldon Richardson for a lot of money. You drafted Jordan Elliott last year. Andrew Billings is coming back. We've talked about him a lot. I don't know if I see the space for Ogunjobi here with the playing time he wants and, and the money he might end up getting uh, out on the open market. You know, he's this year's version of Joe Schobert. He's somebody that if you could keep him, you would like to keep him around, but he's a player that somebody else is going to be willing to pay him more than you are going to be willing to pay him. The Browns are not going to pay Larry Ogunjobi the money that he can get out on the open market. And quite frankly, he, his grades have, have not been good the last two years. His final grades are like 104th out of defensive tackles. And that's not where you'd expect him to be. I thought he was going to take a step up this year and really show a lot, especially because he was in a contract year and it was an opportunity for him to say, no, 
you're not letting me walk out the door. Uh, but that didn't really happen. He just kind of, you know, towed the line a little bit and he was what he has been. Uh, he didn't break out and, and do things in this scheme, in Joe Wood's scheme, uh, that perhaps we thought he might. Now, teams don't always abide closely to those rankings. Maybe the Browns haven't ranked higher than that. Maybe other de- teams do as well. But generally, those rankings end up being pretty close to what teams feel about these players. I'm going to say that they're going to let Larry Ogunjobi test the free agent market and somebody's going to give him way more money than the Cleveland Browns are. I think he knows it. I think the Browns know it. And I think he's gone. Yeah, he might be one of those guys who just needs a new team and a new situation. I think he did grade low uh, last year, 2019. And I think a lot of people said, well, he had the injury to the arm and that probably played a role in it. But this year he came back and had career lows as a tackler and against the run. And, you know, he was out there all the time. So it didn't turn out to be the kind of season he probably hoped it would be in a contract year for sure. Um, and again, this front office and the previous one both tried to upgrade the interior of the defensive line and they weren't targeting Sheldon Richardson's spot. It was, you know, it was Larry Ogunjobi's spot that they were trying to, to get a little better at. And so you got Andrew Billings here, you got Jordan Elliott. And I think those guys are going to, are going to get the chance this coming season. I thought Ogunjobi at the end of the year said something interesting. And we always talk about this on the offensive side. The, the Browns have had a lot of defensive coordinators throughout his career. And he's sort of been asked to do a lot of different things. Uh, you know, when they traded Danny Shelton, they thought, well, maybe he can replace Danny Shelton, but he's not that guy. Uh, he's been asked to play three technique. He's been asked to do a lot of different things under all these different coordinators. He's a guy that makes some splash plays and, and you see him make the play and you're like, whoa, uh, that was something else, but then it's just that down-to-down consistency we haven't seen. So, I, yeah, no argument for me here. I think this is a guy that probably needs just a change of scenery and, and someplace else to get that second contract. So this brings us to number one, and I actually saved somebody else on this list as well because I think he's part of this discussion too. So the guy I saved was Kevin Johnson. The number one guy here is Terrence Mitchell. I'm going to make the case – that I would let Terrence Mitchell go, but I think the two of you would disagree with me. So I'll, I'll let you guys go first and hear what you hear, what you have to say. So Scott, you had him number one on your list. So why, why was he that high? All right. <laughs> I think <laughs> they should resign him just because you know what you're getting. You saw what he did this year. I don't, you don't bring him back. Obviously as a starter, you bring him back because you want that depth and you want that experience and the guy, you know, who can become a starter if things happen and things have consistently happened when he's been here, but there are countless other guys who can do what he does here. So I don't think it's a case of you absolutely have to resign Terrence Mitchell. I think he's the one player on this entire list who makes the most sense. That's why he's number one on my list. You know, you add in not knowing what Greedy Williams situation is going to be. The fact that Denzel Ward has yet to play a full season in the NFL. You know, it just seems like he's a guy who you'd want to make sure you have in your back pocket and ready to go and, it seemed like an obvious choice. Yeah. You know what? I I have to agree with you there, Scott. I do think that a cornerback who can come in and start games for you, I I think that's a valuable piece to have. And as you mentioned, Denzel Ward is going to miss three or four games a year. That is what he has shown us so far that he's going to, something's going to happen and he's not going to play a full 16 games. I'll be surprised if he does. I mean, it would be great for the Browns if he can do that, but so far, you know you're going to need to replace him with somebody really good for a quarter of the season, and that's a significant chunk of your season. So for, for that reason alone, I, I would sign somebody like Terrence Mitchell, who once again, he knows the system, you know he can get the job done, and for the most part, he did a nice job filling in. They also don't know exactly what's going to happen with Greedy Williams yet, and they can say it all they want, that he's going to come back, that he's going to start, and he's going to be fine with that shoulder, and he's going to play at a high level. But they don't know that. Even Greedy Williams doesn't know that. So I think that in addition to Terrence Mitchell, uh, that they still have to keep looking for more cornerbacks, either in free agency or the draft. As we know, you can never have too many. Joe mm-hmm. Woods likes to be in sub-defenses a fair amount. you know. So that's why you, know, you saw guys like um, 
you know, you see the MJ Stewart's and those guys getting snaps and reps and stuff like that. So I would sign uh, Terrence. Uh, he's a good, solid cornerback. And I think he's, he would be worth the money. So here's my case against it. And it has nothing to do with necessarily the player himself. I, I think Mitchell, since he signed here, you guys mentioned he's been asked to step in and maybe play more than he was supposed to. He was sort of surprised that he won that job a few years ago. But the way I'm approaching this position this offseason is I kind of want to stack it a little bit. So I want to go sign. I want to sign like a real veteran who can start. We, you know, Mary Kay, we talked about Richard Sherman yesterday. Uh, whoever that is, you know, I probably want to go sign a guy that can start there. And then I, th- I think I want to draft a guy too. So I want to stack that position a little bit like they did with the, you know, when they signed Austin Hooper and they drafted Harrison Bryant, you know, I might even take a corner at 26 if there's not an edge rusher there that I love. So I'm stacking that position with talent. And then the guy that I want that I want to have after that. And the reason I save Kevin Johnson isn't because I think this guy is Kevin Johnson, but I want him to be a little Kevin Johnson. Like after those two guys, I want to have versatility. So I want to have guys that can play inside. I want to have guys that can play outside. I want to have depth there that can do both things. And Terrence Mitchell just isn't that guy. He's pretty much strictly an outside corner and he hasn't played a lot in the slot. The previous defensive staff didn't believe he could play in the slot at all. They, they specifically said to us he was an outside corner. So I just want more versatility in that depth, especially if I think that Greedy Williams is going to come back and be able to at least contribute. So I'm going to move away from Terrence Mitchell. I'm going to sign another veteran who can start. I'm going to draft a guy who can maybe compete with that veteran. And then I'm just going to look for versatility like crazy behind those guys, guys that can play inside and outside. And unfortunately that kind of leaves Terrence Mitchell out. So that's my, that's my case against Terrence, but I'll be honest. If they brought Terrence back, I wouldn't be upset about it. It's just, that would be my case against it. Yeah. I mean, you make a good case and I I can see exactly where you're coming from there. And again, you make great arguments about that, but I do think that there is something to be said for even an outside corner uh, that, you know, you could plug in there that, you know, he knows the system that, you know, he can start games for you and that you're going to get a good game out of him. He's not going to go out there and, you know, make a, a darn fool of himself. He's going to go out there and he's going to give you a solid, solid football game and, and, and more. So I, I definitely would sign, re-sign Terrence Mitchell. The thing about Terrence too, that is kind of the argument for is this is what his, is this his third regime? I guess this is his second regime, but again, multiple defensive staffs that really like the guy. So he shows up and plays. That's why, like, look, if they decided to bring Terrence back, that would be great. I, I guess I'm, I'm going a different way at that position just in the name of, of versatility. Let's touch on Kevin Johnson real quick because I did save him just to kind of throw his name out there as a guy that represents the type of player I would look for. Again, I don't know if it's necessarily him, but is Kevin Johnson that guy that I'm looking for? I think the Browns need to upgrade at slide in nickel corner. I, they don't have many good options. They, they wanted – the Kevin Johnson who played for Buffalo in 2019. That guy had a really good season, but what they got was the guy who played for the Texans and got released. So, you know, did we see the real Kevin Johnson this past season? It's, you know, only Joe Woods knows for sure, I guess, but they didn't get that kind of production they were hoping for when they signed him. I'd like to see them pursue something else there. Maybe if he comes back and he's, what was it? Three and a half million came in mm-hmm. this year. I mean, fine, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go into the season saying Kevin Johnson's my guy. I want competition there. I think competition beyond M, uh, MJ Stewart and, and Tavier Thomas. What I'm realizing is that I'm like, sure, let's bring this guy back. And then I'm like, Not my money. Bring, bring everybody back. Uh, but when you think about it, when you add up all the salaries of, of these guys, they, you know, they don't, they don't even add up to what you paid like Olivier Vernon last year, probably, you know, you, you're getting like five guys uh, at, at these amazing prices. So if you can get a good slot corner, like a Kevin Johnson, once again, at a really good bargain basement price, and he wants to be here and he knows the system and you can get uh, that kind of production out of him in the slot. I, I would resign him if, if nothing else for the, for good depth, they had to use a lot of different slot corners. And once again, this is, this is a defense that rolls through defensive backs like crazy. 
I mean, they used a lot of them and a lot of them got a lot of snaps. I mean, they were using Tavier Thomas in the slot at times. So I'm resigning him. I think it's hard to find. I don't think you're going to go out there and find very many slot guys that can cover the slot that are just floating around out there. You know, he can do it to a, you know, maybe not the, the highest degree that you would ultimately want, but maybe at least for depth at the right price. Yeah, it, it sort of depends. One of the guys I put on one of my early free agent lists was uh, Brian Poole from the Jets, who would be, you know, that that's where you're going to go out and pay like a premium for a slot guy. And I don't know if the Browns want to do that. I think he made $6 million last year, something like that, or maybe his projection was $6 million, which I would pay for a nickel guy if you could really kind of shut that spot down. But again, it's not my money. <laughs> it's Jimmy Haslam's money. It's Andrew Barry's money. And they have to be a lot more thoughtful about it than we do. Okay. I think we hit everyone that was on Scott's list there. So there you have it. Some internal free agents for the Browns. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Tim Bielik is going to join me to talk some draft. And now we welcome on Tim Bielik to talk NFL draft. Tim, how are you? Doing good. How are you? Doing well. Uh, it is officially the off season. So I guess, it, look, it's always draft season, but this is like officially draft season now. Let's look back on the Super Bowl, though, real quickly. As you're watching that game and you see the outcome, what draft implications did you kind of take away from it, especially as it pertains to the Browns? Well, I think the biggest thing that the uh, Super Bowl basically said to me was edge rushers and get, getting a pass rush with as few guys as possible is still important. I don't think that changed in my mind, but I think it just strengthened it more. Now I know Kansas city's offensive line was banged up. They didn't have Eric Fisher. They were shuffling guys around, but you just saw the impact guys like Jason Pierre, Paul and Shaq Barrett had that entire game. I think if I remember right, I saw next gen stats had a stat that said that Patrick Mahomes before he got rid of the football or stepped out of bounds or was in a tackle ran for almost 500 yards. I know that's a rare instance because it's Patrick Mahomes and that's just the way he plays, but that just shows you, I think just how important it is to just constantly have that pass rush where you're not being forced to blitz all the time because against a team like Kansas city, you can't send too many guys. Otherwise you're going to get burned by the likes of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Right. And we've seen teams try to do it. And in fact, I mean, the Browns kind of employed a similar strategy where they didn't blitz a whole lot. They really only kind of rushed four in that divisional game, but you know, the reality is while they managed to kind of keep everything in front of them, they still, Patrick Mahomes is able to, to kind of do what he wanted because the Browns just didn't have the horses. You're talking about Miles Garrett coming off COVID with an injury. And then you're, you're looking at guys like Adrian Claiborne and Porter Gustin on the other side. That's a lot different than what Tampa was bringing when they were only trying to rush for most of the game. So yeah, I'm with you. It kind of speaks to, you got to have the horses there. You got to have the guys. And one of the ways you can do that is through the draft. Absolutely. And I'll write about it by the end of the week. When I get to my draft ranking series, we'll talk about what I've got coming later on that. But this is a really good draft for edge rushers. And especially at the end of the first round, into the second, there are a lot of guys that are going to be available. It's just going to be kind of going to be just depending on what the Browns want. Do you want a guy that can play more right away? Or do you need a guy that you can take your time with. I mean, it depends if they go trade for JJ Waters, sign Trey Hendrickson. I wonder how much those would inform the decision they would make at 26 if they want to take an edge rusher. I want to ask you before we get to that 26 pick, when we're talking about edge rushers, because this could be a situation where maybe you take more than one. Who are a couple of those guys on day two or even day three that you look at as, now I don't know how many of those guys can have an impact like week one, but who are some of those guys that you look at and say, this guy could help. I think a couple guys that stick out to me among others is a guy like Patrick Jones, the second from Pittsburgh. This is a guy that could have had first round potential should, should be there in day two. Uh, got a really good motor for the way he plays. And also other guys I like Quincy Roche from Miami was a guy that I thought could be a first rounder transferred from temple to Miami prior to the season. He could be there in the second round. Hamilcar Rashid from Oregon state. Joe Tryon from Washington, among other guys. This is going to be a, a draft where I think even if you don't take one in the first round, you can certainly get a quality one in day two. Let's talk about the number 26 pick. Let's start with Ed Rusher, and then let's move out from there. Who are the guys that could be there as far as Ed Rushers go at number 26? 
Well, in my last mock draft, I had them taking Jalen Phillips out of Miami. This is a guy that, for those people that haven't heard Jalen Phillips, maybe you've heard of him if you follow high school recruiting. This was a former five-star prospect. He had several injuries, including concussion, that forced him to retire briefly. But then he transferred to Miami in 2020 and in 10 games put up eight sacks, 15 and a half tackles for loss. He's a very good athlete off that edge, and I think a guy who – compared to some of the other guys in this group, maybe more inclined to play right away. If you're looking for a guy that you can be patient with, I think Jason Oway from Penn State would be that option if you're looking for more just kind of athletic gifts. I mean, we really didn't get to see a lot of him because he was behind guys like Etor Grossmatos and Shaka Tony on the Penn State depth chart. But this guy just oozes potential, incredible athletic ability, just never really got the chance to show it much at Penn State. He only had about six and a half tackles for loss last season. So there's not a lot of proven numbers, right? There's not a lot of production from the college level. You can certainly understand why, again, having veterans in front of him blocking his path to the field. But again, if you take a veteran at that position, like I mentioned earlier, maybe this is a guy you can afford to kind of take and see if he can be right now your third defensive end, a guy you can rotate that you put out there for certain situations until he's ready to assume a full-time starting role. Look, I love the idea of stacking, you know, sign a free agent, draft a guy. I think that's a great way to sort, especially when you've got a roster like the Browns that is fairly complete that allows you to sort of do stuff like that. So who are you looking for right now as you sit down and I I don't know when you're doing another mock draft, but when you do, you get to number 26, who are the guys that you're looking at? Not just edge rushers, but Let's just say your mock draft kind of plays out as you're putting it together the exact way you would want it. Who's the guy you would absolutely want to be there? And then who are some other guys that you'd keep an eye on? I think Phillips is the guy that I kind of look at right now as my go-to guy. I think the guy, one of the guys that I don't know, there's actually two I think that may not be available, but if they are, I would have a hard time passing on them. One, and if you read Wednesday's post, I talked about it a little bit, is J.C. Horn the corner of South Carolina. He's the son of Joe Horn. He's a, he's another one of those physical corners. That's, that's a theme in this top part of the draft is tall physical corners. Horn is six, one, almost about 200 some pounds. I love the way he plays. He can really add that physical edge that even just two years ago, the Browns were looking for when they drafted greedy Williams. Of course that could still potentially work. It depends how he comes back from the injury, but I, I think Obviously, that's a significant need for the Browns. And if if they want to go linebacker, the, one of my absolute favorite players in this draft is Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa out of Notre Dame. He's 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 a little slight for a linebacker, less than 220 pounds, but this guy is just an absolute playmaker. Simply gets after gets all over the field, about 11 plus tackles for loss. He's a guy that you can kind of put in that linebacker safety mold. Maybe maybe not as dynamic. As I, as I say, Isaiah Simmons, certainly not as big as Simmons, but similar in terms of potential skill set. And if you read the post I did about linebackers, you saw the play where he takes a pitch straight off the hands of Travis Etienne for a touchdown against Clemson in that Notre Dame win they had, which got him into the playoff. I'm no scout, but if I'm a guy, if I'm watching him, all I need to do is watch that play, turn off the tape, and I'm, I'm sold pretty much. Right. So when I think about linebackers and taking one in the first round, I've, I've tried to kind of stay away from that guy for the Browns. But I do think the guy you're looking for, if you're going to take a linebacker in the first round, so if you're going to not take an edge rusher, if you're not going to take a corner, you need a playmaker. I don't know that you're, you're not getting Devin White there to kind of call back to the Super Bowl, but you need a guy that can make those sorts of impact plays. And it sounds like he's one of those guys. Yeah, and if he's not there, do you want to go linebacker? Zayvon Collins from Tulsa is another good option. He's he's kind of the opposite of Owusu Koromoa, whereas Owusu Koromoa is smaller. Collins is a big guy. He's 263 pounds, but he was the top defensive player in college football, won the Benaric Award. I know it's was at the group of five level, so obviously not as proven talent he's going up against every day, but all the guy did was plain and simple make plays. Right. And I do think this front office, at least last year, sort of tended a little bit towards production, which surprised me. I thought it would be a little more, you know, physical traits testing, but maybe a lot of that was because 
all you kind of had was the combine. You didn't have a ton of pro days. So I'm, I'm curious to sort of see how this draft is different for this front office. Okay. You, you touched on it a little bit. You're doing your, your rankings posts. So where are we now and, and where can people, what can people look at if they go to cleveland.com slash Browns after they, they listen to this? Well, coming up next today, we're on position number five, the fifth best position in the draft, which I mentioned is corners. And I talk about how this is a draft that not only has corners at the top that are tall guys, but there's NFL bloodlines. I touched on JC Horn. You've got Patrick Sertan's son, Patrick Sertan II, who even though he's not number one in my in the consensus list that I found, he's he could certainly be the first corner in this draft to go. And going on further down the line, you have Asante Samuel's kid from Florida State, Asante Samuel Jr. He's in the top five. A guy outside the top five I like, Ifiatu Melifonwu from Syracuse. Now, if you remember five years, about five years ago, Obi Melifonwu from UConn was a guy who just absolutely dominated the combine. Didn't work out as a pro, but he had put on a show at the combine. Ifiatu is his brother, and he is, an, he is another tall corner at six foot two. Could certainly work in that in that day two range. So they're going to have the Browns, if they really want to go after a corner, they're going to have some options. Okay. So I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a curveball at you here. Not, not a tough one. This is a slow, easy to hit curveball, but I do feel like when we come away from these, we're throwing a bunch of names at people. So of, of all the names you've said here today, let's leave Browns fans with this. What's the one name, not necessarily a prediction that the Browns will pick him or whatever, but just what's the one name, whether it's a day one, day two or day three, that they should just kind of write down, put a pin in as, okay, I'm going to try to remember this name to see if I hear it called on draft night. I've talked about it a few times, but I'm big on Jalen Phillips. I know, I mean, we're talking one year of production and you can make the same argument for Gregory Rousseau of Miami, who should be the first pass rusher off this draft. But for one year of production, it was a pretty darn good year of production. And you watch his highlight film. I just love the way he gets after it, how aggressive he is. I don't know if he'd be the, the right guy. It's going to depend, I think, on how, you know, his injury medicals come along, how those are evaluated. But if he's available, if the Browns don't really address Ed Rusher in free agency or make a move to get one in a trade, he'd be a guy, I, he'd be a guy that for me, if he's available, would be pretty hard to pass up on. Okay. There we go. Uh, a name to remember, a whole bunch of names before that as well. So uh, check all of that out. Tim's stuff is going up on cleveland.com slash Browns. Check out all those rankings. And of course, keep an eye out for those mock drafts. You know where your next mock draft is coming? Not sure quite yet, but I think I have a surprise or two in store for what I kind of want to do with that. Perfect. All right, Tim, thanks for the time. You got it. <laughs>